0: Listening to the Cumberland Road, and I'm your host, TJ Melinosky. A common perception of a minister is an earth shaking, charismatic persona, quick with a story, a joke, a Bible verse that can envelop the room and captivate everyone's attention. But every minister is built a little differently and expands that perception that a minister can also be mild, soft-spoken, unassuming, and approaches ministry with humility. Reverend James Byrd may very well embody the latter, approaching the ministry with the pastor's eyes and ears, observing and listening to both God and the people that he has been called to serve. There is validity to this approach to ministry, as James has been doing it for over 53 years. He has served congregations in Kentucky and Tennessee, and despite my non-linear questions, he keeps this faith conversation on track with some efforts towards chronology. For transparency, I asked James to be a guest on the podcast because he has been influential in my own faith. Years ago and sight unseen, James asked a silly yet idealistic 18 year old punk kid to speak at the church that he was serving. Timing was perfect as the opportunities to preach and practice ministry were few. For this, I am grateful. Here is the faith journey of James Bird. James, you got a taste of ministry while you were in the military. And you and I, we have not talked about this yet, but I was very intrigued to hear of your service in the armed forces and your first encounter as a chaplain.
1: Well, I was a chaplain's assistant, and uh, I finished my basic training. I had my orders that I would going to Fort Leslie J. McNair in Washington, D.C. And um, as I was starting over to the mess hall, I, for some reason, as I got the last KP, started over to mess hall and ran into my commanding officer. And he stopped me got stopped. he says, do you know where you're going? I said, yes, sir. I'm going to Washington, D.C. to Fort McNair. Oh, that's great, he said. What's your M.O.S.? I said, I don't know,
2: sir. All I had was a number. So he talked a minute or two and left. Uh, I got to Washington, D.C. Processing in and... Uh, When I got to my uh, my unit in the uh, office there, uh,
1: this corporal asked me what my MOS was. I said, I don't know. So he calls the personnel section uh, department and asked them. They didn't know. So he said, well, find out you got an AR there. So He said, okay. So he's a petroleum storage specialist. He said, we don't have that here on this post. And personnel officer said, no, we do not. <laughs> so he gets off the phone. And he said, well, Bird, we don't have that position here. Uh, go around the day room. Stay there for a while. But I guess we we're going to make the duty soldier out of it. Uh-uh. Well, boy, that was something that really did interest me because here I was in Washington, D.C., a duty soldier was going to be somebody that was stationed at the White House or,
0: you know, some, some big deal. You had you had yeah. big dreams for this role. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> so I was getting everything squared away when the other guys got off of duty. And uh, this one guy came across the barracks and introduced himself. And he says, um, you're new, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. He said, what's your MOS? And I told him, he said, we don't have that here, do we? I said, No. He said, well, what are they going to do with you? I said, they're going to make a dirty soldier out of me. Oh, no, 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 no. I thought, okay, what's going on? He said, you don't want that because that's someone that's going to catch every dirty detail coming and going. He says, I'm a chaplain's assistant and I've got 90 days until I'm getting now. There's no replacement for you. How would you like to be a chaplain's assistant? Well, so, you know, first time to be away from home for any distance and any time I don't, I didn't know what it's all about so I uh, I said okay so um, the next day I was processing the end you know, I had to go all over the post uh, when I got to the chaplain's
2: office the chaplain called me in and sat there and talked with me for about an hour and um, his question was, how would you like to come to work for me?
1: I don't know, okay, that would be great. So I got back to the, to the barracks and the corporal down office came up and said, "Burns, you report to the chaplain's office, $800 in the morning. Okay, so there's where I began. I was working as a chaplain's assistant in Washington, D.C., was enjoying everything I was doing. And uh, we had to go to
2: the headquarters headquarters to get our mail. So I went down one day to get the mail. I'd been there uh,
1: almost 90 days, which is enough time to get my MOS changed. So I went down and... Uh, Had to go through the personnel
2: office and uh, to get the mail. And I walked by, I heard, Hey, Bird, come here. I took a step back. This uh, warrant officer sitting there, I said, Come here, I want to talk to you.
1: I said, Yes, sir. He said, How would you like to go to Germany? I said, "Well, I think it'd be all right." He said, "It doesn't make any difference. You got your orders to go here." (laughs) (laughs) So when I got back to the chaplain's office, I was sitting there looking at orders. Chaplain walked out and he says, "Uh, "Jim, have you got
2: a letter from home?" I said, "No, sir." Well, what is it?
1: I said, I've got orders. I'm going to Germany. He said, oh, no, you're not. They're not going to do me that way. When I get an, an assistant in here and get him turned away online, they're not about to take me away. <laughs> he went into his office, came back out five minutes. He said, Jim, I can't do you that way. You're going to go.
2: I said, yes, sir. So um, I went to um, New York and um I think I was there for about three or four days. Second day
1: I was there, they fell us out into formation and took us up to this building. And over here to my, my left were chairs. And to my right was a caged off area. And this sergeant came up there and he said, now, when you hear your name called, you go to the window where the person called
2: your name. I said, okay. So a little bit, my name
1: was called. I walked up and went to First thing it the was, uh, I believe it was a sergeant, first thing he asked, everything on your orders is correct, isn't it? I said, no, it
2: isn't. Well, what's wrong? I said, my MOS.
1: You're not a petroleum storage specialist? I said, no, sir, I'm not. Well, what are you? I'm a chaplain's assistant. It's not on here. I said, but well, I was in process of getting my MOS changed when these orders came in. I'll go over and have a seat. I don't know what i are going to do. Within 24 hours, new orders were cut on me, and I was going to Germany. Not as a petroleum storage specialist, but as a chaplain's assistant.
0: You were Germany-bound regardless.
1: Uh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I uh, I got there and uh, it was a it was a great experience. First time I had ever been out of the United States. Um, new language, new people, but it was interesting. I enjoyed it, and um, I served as a chaplain's assistant. And all that the chaplain's assistant did, or I mean, all that I was to do was to take care of the chaplain phone books and then get set up for the uh, chapel service on Sunday morning. Which that wasn't a great big deal. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> uh, I
2: I went to that office,
1: a little bit skeptical about things, because I wasn't sure, you know, just what everything was all about. I hadn't been in the army all that long. I made the best of it. Hmm. And um, I'd gotten well acquainted with the guys that work in the personnel office because we were all in the same parents. Uh, we went to mess hall one, one day at noontime and uh, sitting there with the guys from the personnel office. And one of them looked over and says, Vern, how would you like a kid an early out?
2: I said, what do you mean? Well, how would you like an early out? I said,
1: I guess it'd be okay. He said, that's all right, you got it. I was not to get out of the Army until the 6th day of November, the ninth day of October. I was
2: processing out and coming back to the United States. I couldn't understand what it was all about. Why
1: did I get out? Because this was at a time that the Vietnam war was building up uh it was really becoming hot uh the guys I was stationed with were being called up and reenlistment talk. Someone called up and said, "Your time has been extended." I hear I get the dirty yet
0: hmm. now, did you enlist or were you drafted
1: i was I was drafted,
0: okay, so right out of high school
1: <laughs> no, no, I had uh, I graduated from high school in 56, and I didn't get uh, drafted until 61.
0: Okay. What were your plans um, after graduation?
1: I thought I was going to go into bookkeeping. I knew something about Bethel College. So my plans were to go to Bethel College and get a degree, in business administration, and someone in my family
2: said, "You're not going to do that. If you want to get a, a business degree, go here to Knoxville and um, enroll in the business school." That wasn't for me. I didn't do
1: it. I couldn't do it. It was what it's all about. Um,
0: was it? So, um, mm-hmm. to interrupt you for a moment. So, mm-hmm. if going did you enroll and try it and discover that bookkeeping wasn't for you, or was the was it no. you wanted? You had your eyes on Bethel College.
1: I, I had my eyes on Bethel College, and okay. then sometime after I told I was going wasn't going to Bethel College, I I realized bookkeeping, business administration, was not my forte.
0: Okay, all right, so you're kind of in lim- I'm not in limbo, <laughs> yeah, you're in limbo and then you get the draft letter. How did you get into the um uh after you finished basic? How did you get appointed into the petroleum role <laughs> <laughs> that that was a funny situation too.
1: I worked for a man that was a member of my home church. He ran a little grocery store and a gas station,
2: and I worked for him. And uh, when
1: I was inducted into the Army, we had to fill out papers. And one of the questions on there was, what do you desire to do in the, in the Army? And I looked down across there and I said, that's what I signed up for. When they started talking with me to do the interview, this guy looked at me and he says, why do you want to do clerical work? I said, because that's an interest of mine. Well, why are we working at a great gas station? I said, because that was the only thing I could get. Mm -hmm. He said, well, you're not going to be a clerk. That's how I got in to be a patrolling store specialist. Okay. I'm, I'm thankful <laughs> now that I did not get to be a petroleum store specialist because I don't think I could have, I could have hacked
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> you grew up in the Maryville, Tennessee area. Yes. And, and uh, what church did you and your family attend?
1: First Cumberland Presbyterian Church.
0: Is that the same... Is that the same building that's uh, present now, or was it a different building at the time?
1: Yes, it was in, that, in the same building that is there today that I received my call into the ministry. But I felt God working with me some years before. I wasn't sure what it was all about.
0: All right, well, let's talk a little bit about that time. I know we, we started with you as a young adult, so let's go back to your childhood you grew up in the Maryville First church, Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and uh that's currently that's on well it's in town, and was that considered in town uh during that time?
1: uh it wasn't as much in town as it is now
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh when I was a
1: child, uh people all around the church had chickens we had chickens we had. Hogs, uh, you know, it was kind of on the outskirts of what we would call town. Yes. Now town as moved out.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, moved out and beyond the church. Yeah, yes. So it was in that church that you was introduced to the Christian faith.
1: Well, let me go
2: back. There was a time when I was a youngster. I think
1: I had the knowledge of the Christian faith. I hadn't made my professional faith. Mm -hmm. But I can recall it to this day. We lived on the main highway
2: between Neville and Knoxville. And
1: uh, our, our yard was fenced in. So that meant I couldn't get outside the fence to do anything unless I was going with some of my family. But <laughs> I I can still remember I would get out there and I'd find two little sticks and I'd put them together in a cross form. And when a car would come by, I would run one direction with it and I'd say, Jesus sake, and then do the same thing, go back. I kept doing that until my mother called me in. <laughs> I, I I had some knowledge of the Christian faith, but I didn't have some knowledge of the Christian faith that came to me a little later. Mm-hmm. And uh, when
2: I uh, when we built our new building, I think there's where God really started working with me. And uh, it was
1: by that, which I began to understand, made my profession of faith, and started to grow as a Christian.
0: How old were you when you made your profession of faith? Do you remember?
1: I was 10 years of age, I believe.
0: Wow. A young man. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh did you keep uh running up and down the fence line, sharing your <laughs> sharing your faith?
1: Uh, not long. <laughs> <laughs> my my mother uh, wouldn't permit me to do that. She said, Don't do that. Said, somebody might get offended. You know, somebody tells me somebody might get offended by what I do. If I'm doing it for the Lord, it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, we've jumped around a little bit and I interrupted you. Um, let's pick back up. You were being shipped back home got an early release mm-hmm. and uh returned home from Germany back to the United States. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Uh when you were the chaplain's assistant. Let's stay there for a moment. Mm-hmm. Was that an affirmation, maybe an exposure to a vocation in ministry?
1: Uh, yes, I think so. But I, let me back up just a, little bit, a little bit here. In my home church, the year I graduated from high school, we had a revival
2: going on. And it was during the time that school was in session. Really? And uh, my high school was up the hill there from our church. And um, we were playing their Ark rival on Friday night. And sitting there and wanting to give God all my intake and all, I could hear this jail go up from the football field.
1: And uh, I wanted to be there. But there was something that the evangelist said that touched me right to the core of my heart. And when the service was over, my two brothers who were older than I started up and said, okay. And I never will forget my oldest brother. said, come on, let's go. I said, I'm not going. What's the matter? I said, I just can't go. I walked out the front door and came around and walked in by the pastor's office. And he came around there and he said, James, what are you doing standing here? I said, I need
2: to talk to you. He said, hey, what's going on? And I told him, come on. You're going with me and the evangelist. I've got to take him back to the boat there. Spent two hours with him. Hmm. And um, the pastor told me, he
1: said, James, I feel that you are a Christian, but I also feel that God is calling you to do something. Now I want you to go back this night and I want you to pray that God will reveal it to you. Well, that night when I got ready to go to bed, I prayed. I asked God to reveal to me whatever it was he wanted of me. And uh, I dropped off the a little bit. And I had a dream that night. And that dream was that we were in our old church building, which the new church building was built around it. Okay. And we was in the old building. And there was somebody standing up at the pulpit.
2: I couldn't see his face. But he had on the rope.
1: You know, at that time, all pulpit rose were a he didn't intend to go on the his plot. I found myself there, throwing my arms around that person and telling him I was dedicating my life to them. Hmm. I believe God had his hand right there, and God had his hand in my life when he put me in the Washington, D.C. and when he sent me to Germany. And um, so I got to Germany,
2: and um, I was working for
1: the chaplain that was a Lutheran. And then he came back to the states. His replacement was, and I don't, I don't mean this in any bad way, but his was replacement was a Baptist minister. Well, we also had the Third Infantry on the post there in Germany, and the. Their chaplains all had offices in the post chapel. And uh, one day, uh, the chaplain's assistant came over, and he says, uh, kind of a demanding voice, he says, the chaplain wants
2: to be paid for his cleaning expense.
1: And he kept on. I said, I'm sorry, I cannot do it. Well, you, you keep the books, don't you? I said, yes, I do. Well, oh, you can do it. I said, no, I can't. The chaplain's not here to approve it. And I do not expend any money unless he approves. About well, back that time, the Catholic chaplain walks into my office, a major, and he says, I do not be paid from my cleaning. I said, sir, I cannot do it. Well, oh, why can't you? The chaplain's not here to do it or to approve it, and I cannot approve it you got a slush shine, don't you? I suggested. I can't make spend any money out of that unless the chaplain's here to prove it. And well, he was he was not ready to carry into me when the post-chaplain came in, and he walked in, and he says, Jim, what's going on? I said, the chaplain wants to be reimbursed for a cleaning, and I was telling him I could not do it because you were not here to approve uh, it.
2: He said, you're absolutely right. And he turned around to that Catholic chaplain, who outranked him, and he said,
1: my chaplain's assistant is in the right. You're in the wrong. Don't ever come up here and talk to my my assistant again like
2: that. They got into it. So help
1: me. I saw stuff there I never saw before in my life, not even through basic training. These two ministers of God, we're standing there face to face, and our noses almost, almost touching, yelling at each other. And with all due respect, there were some entities that were routed hell. And uh, finally, the Catholic chaplain apologized
2: to me and walked back over to his office. The chaplain I was working for, the Christian chaplain, he said, James, I'm sorry you had to hear that. I thought,
1: okay, you don't need to apologize to me. You know, there's a higher up. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, anyway, um, I thought I may be called
2: up for a court martial because I refused an officer
1: a request. But then later on, I found out, no, I did the right thing, and there was no way that anybody uh, charged me with anything. So,
0: yeah, but you had that moment I, of fear because did. you didn't know.
1: That, uh, I truly believe in all of that time while I was here in the States as a chaplain
2: assistant, while I was there in Germany, God truly spoke to me. Touched me with the power of his spirit in such a way that I felt complete relief
1: and at ease when I came back home. Hmm. I could take you to my home church this very day, and I could take you to the very spot where I was sitting that Sunday when my pastor was preaching and the Closing hymn was announced. I took the hymn book out of the hymn rack, opened it up. Couldn't even get the first word of the hymn out. Mm-hmm. Closed it up and dropped it back down in there.
2: And I walked for Pastor
1: said, James, I said, there's something I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not sure. You feel like God's got something for you. I said, I feel like
2: God has something for me. I don't know. He
1: talks with me and later on he came by and talked with me. And then, first, next thing I knew, I was going before Presbytery. (laughs) because he received his candidate for ministry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, you became a candidate for ministry. Well, you know, I guess that those moments. Serving as a chaplain's assistant, you were able to see, well, pieces that were the best of Christianity and maybe some of the worst of Christian behavior towards one another. Right. And that could have affirmed a call or affirmed no call into ministry or or just, just a Christian in general based Mm -hmm. upon others' behaviors.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: So you became a candidate for ministry, and what school did you attend? Bethel College. (laughs) So here we are again at Bethel. (laughs) (laughs) But not for bookkeeping. No, no, it was not. (laughs) At that time, did Bethel have a... um, a program, a, a educational path for people who were called into ministry, an, an undergraduate degree. We had a
2: an area that specialized in ministry.
1: Um, it probably changed some since I've been there, since that was Bible University. It might be changed some, but. <laughs> um,
0: What was your focus of study when you went to Bethel?
1: I had a double major. I majored in English. Now, mine's not that (laughs)
0: great
1: (laughs) today. And I majored in uh,
2: religion.
0: Okay. When you attended Bethel, was the seminary also located there? Or had no, it already uh, moved to Memphis?
1: It had moved to Memphis, uh, I think, in the spring or the summer of '64, and I enrolled in the sixth, uh, fall of '64.
0: Okay, so you were one of the first students at Memphis Theological Seminary in its new location.
1: No, no, no. I, I graduated. I, w- I went to uh, Bethel in '64.
0: I. Um,
2: it was in my uh, sophomore year that I had stomach goals and hemorrhage with me I had to drop out. So I went back and I finished my college degree uh, in uh, 60, 69,
1: because of the time frame that I am dropping down.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Well, um. Now, you met your wife while you were a student at Bethel, correct?
1: Yes. Yes, I did.
0: Now, did you and Linda know each other beforehand? Because geographically speaking, you really weren't that far apart in East Tennessee.
1: Now, we were about 45 miles apart and did not know each other until <laughs> we both found up at Bethel. <laughs> oh,
0: interesting. Interesting. So how did, you, how did you meet at Bethel and begin dating? Cumberland
1: Church there had a class for college students.
2: And um, one
1: Sunday, I got there just a wee bit late and walked into the Sun Tzu class. There was one chair vacant. And it was right beside Linda. Now, we had been talking, you know, and and, uh, had been around campus together. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when we started over to, to the sanctuary for uh,
2: worship. Somebody stopped me in the talk with me about uh, the college uh, program, we had it all night. and uh, So when I got there, there was only
1: one, because the college students all sit in the same section and uh, there was only one place open and it was the side to side there. Oh, so, um,
2: and <laughs> I still get to this, uh, we walked out and uh, standing out there in front of the church talking and uh,
1: uh, I asked her, I said, do you need to ride back to She said, no, I'm with my roommate. And then she looked at me and she says, and how are we going to get home for Thanksgiving? I said, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> I said, I do have a car. She said, Would well, you mind my car riding with me? So, not that little did I realize. I'm sure you have heard of Bobby Rutledge.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: He was one that instigated Linda and myself getting together.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, so, <laughs> no, but, uh, well, he he wasn't only one. There were certain mothers that had a hand
3: in
1: it. <laughs> they, they were seeing something that I probably didn't see, so they got us together. <laughs> um, after that you was know, when I was in seminary, I, we married.
0: All right. How long have you been married, you and Linda?
1: It would be 50, 53 years. This August.
0: Wow. 53 years. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, let's jump ahead a little bit. I know we just kind of breezed over Bethel and, and Memphis Theological Seminary, but let's talk about the uh, your service as a minister and the pastorate. Uh, what are some of the different congregations that you have served over the course of your ministry
2: well when i was in seminary
1: i supplied a church in um, mississippi hernando mississippi Uh, it was a union church methodist and presbyterian usa i supplied that for a year or so uh i had my first pastor was a three church parish in the football area. And then I went from there to Kentucky, to Bethel number
2: one. And then I went from there to, uh, no, I think When I was in the football area, I got a call to Mount Pleasant Church in Tennessee. So I went there. Spent uh, some time there and uh, got a call to Kentucky. I was in Kentucky for six and a half
1: years, got a call to Easton, Tennessee, stayed with them for six years, got a call back to Bethel number one in, in Kentucky. I stayed with them the last time for a little over 20 years.
0: Wow. <laughs> And you've spent a good part of your life in Kentucky now, and certainly your ministry. Yes. Most
1: most, uh, most of my ministry has been right here in Kentucky.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about some of the individuals that have impacted your life and impacted your faith journey, uh, deepened it. And and by proxy have have also impacted your your ministry in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church.
1: I think the first person that probably had the most influence
2: in that line was um, the late Thomas Bright. He was a pastor of my own church. He kind of took me under his wing. He kind of nudged me along. He encouraged me. Um, I never will forget. um, I hadn't yet committed to ministry, but uh, there was a special Sunday and he asked me to portion of the sermon.
3: Hmm.
2: And
1: um, I I didn't want to think (laughs) that. I did the best I could do, and I did not find this out until sometime after I went into the ministry. Hamish Bright told my mother,
2: because it's his word, your son
1: is going to be a minister. He did a fantastic job here at this church. He did what he did. I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back because I do not feel like I do a fantastic job. (laughs) uh, He he was one that made a big impact on me. Um, Hubert Morrow impacted my life while I was at
2: Bethel. Then I went to seminary. Two people there in particular Dr. Engler and Colvin Baird.
0: Mm. Two professors at, at that time.
1: Yes. Uh, uh, Dr. Reagan was, uh, was the president at that time. Okay. And uh,
2: Calvin Barron was my field advisor. Either of those two men, I felt like I could go to any
1: time and talk with them and not feel like, hey, we don't have enough time for you. They always had time. And that that has meant more to me than a lot of people will ever know.
0: Mm. I want to tell a story on you. Mm. Uh, Years ago, (laughs) years (laughs) ago, uh, one of the churches that you were serving was having a revival. And you invited sight unseen, uh, two, no, maybe three different Bethel students who were candidates for ministry to do a night or two uh, there at the church that you were serving. I don't remember the name of it, but it was in Kentucky. Bethel number one. Bethel number one. Mm -hmm. And what in the world were you thinking when you uh, had Bethel students under the care of various presbyteries to come up and and have that opportunity, and I'm asking as one of the, I was one of the two or the three that you invited that year, and you had never met me, and that has impacted my own uh, calling in the ministry because unknown to you at that time. Um, and, and maybe this is for a lot of of those who are called into ministry at a fairly young age. There's that level of frustration of, you know, just uh, kind of cut me loose and 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 allow me to exhort or preach, uh, mm-hmm. and give me those opportunities and. There were periods in my life where those were few and far between. And that happened to be one of them. You're always encouraged. Now, you know, you're only 17, you're only 18. Just wait, those opportunities will come. Um, and you were one of those who uh, who opened doors, not only for me, but for some other students at that time. But I, again, I have to know, what were you thinking of having these uh, young people called in the ministry and you'd never met them before, come up and hold a revival. I, who knows what we were going to say. I don't remember what I had preached. I'm sure it wasn't very good.
1: <laughs> I can't say it was good or bad. I, I don't, I don't recall what you preached either.
0: <laughs> there we go. But, See, uh, there was the impact right there.
1: Oh. <laughs> uh, Jimmy was, I think, had gone into the ministry.
0: Yeah, yeah. And let's pause here and clarify. So, um, uh, Jimmy Bird, a previous guest on Cumberland Road, is your son. And he was a Bethel student at that time. And he was serving in the youth ministry. Right. Yeah. Okay.
2: I think he had come home. Uh,
1: for two or three days and he and I were talking and he says uh, Dan have you all had a revival yet this year and I said no he said well, when do you think you're going to have one and I told him he said uh, would you be willing to have some of the ministerial students come up and hold it I said well, that's okay with me so I talked to the session
2: they said that's fine great um, but why did I open it up? Yeah. Um, let me think, go back to my early ministry. When I was like you at Bethel College, I had churches that opened their pulpit for me to come in and speak. Uh, it was encouragement. It was assurance. It was a way of saying you can do it. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I thought if people looked at me and did that, I can certainly do it for somebody else. And that's why, I mean, I would still give young ministers an opportunity to preach
2: if I'm pastoring the church and that that revival made a difference in that church
0: hmm. well it certainly made a difference to me it was um it was an affirmation to the call at a younger age it was an opportunity that was afforded to me and, and to others and to other Bethel students called into ministry and it was timely at least for me and I think for the others at that, um, that came to Bethel. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate that. I really, really do. It's meaningful to me and it was very impactful at that time. And I think you and I, we've talked about that a little bit before, but really not in this depth. And I just, Mm -hmm. um, I just, the older I get, I'm just wondering what in the world were you thinking? Sight unseen. (laughs) We also live in a different time too as well, but, um, I do appreciate that. I really do. It helped set me on, on, it kept me on the same path, but that affirmation was important at, at that time in my life. I like asking guests, and um, again, this is kind of a faith journey conversation. I think it's important for us to talk about where God has reached us in the past, but also where we are experiencing God in the present moment, in the today, in the now. Um, for those who are seeking meaning and Substance and a relationship with God in their lives right now. They they want to hear from us who are disciples of Christ where we see God working in the world and where we're feeling God in in the world. So mm-hmm. this is a long question, but let me shorten it up for you. James is, <laughs> where are you seeing God's presence in your life today? And.
2: Most everything I do. Let me go back to when I was beautiful. I served some churches at that time.
1: And um, I told you about the ulcer that started hemorrhaging with me.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I wound up in a hospital in Jackson, Tennessee. I had three units of blood. Mm-hmm. And my doctor came in after I'd been there
2: three days or so. And started to walk
1: out. He turned, uh, got to the door and turned around and looked at me and he said, I want to tell you something. I wouldn't have given a nickel for your life the night you came in here. Mm. He walked out. I was laying there
2: in a the bed. I said, Lord, you've called me.
1: If you've got me, got something that you want me to do. I'm going to trust you enough to give me the ability to walk out of here. And I'll do it. Three days later, I walked out of the hospital.
2: That was God working. That was God working. Uh, um, I've seen it at other times uh, where God was... uh, kind of to word it. He where he used me to reach a person. Um, I was doing a revival. And I uh, always gave an invitation. And one night this man responded,
1: accepting Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But I noticed the people were quite different, you know, and I did know what was going on. And after it was over, one of the members came up to me and said, I want to tell you something. We have been praying for that man for years, and he's never made that step. You got to us. And I thought, no, I didn't get to him. God did. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a way of God doing something in my life. Uh,
2: there have been difficult times in my ministry. But every time God was there to make me out of it,
3: Mm.
1: Um, he's still doing it today.
0: In what ways do you see God working in your life now? You've been married for 53 years. You've got children. You've got grandchildren. You're still in ministry. How is God using you now?
2: Thought about this. Uh, there have been times when I felt like my age, I should, uh,
1: what people say to the plastic or oh, preacher can't do is retire. <laughs> I thought about it. And uh, every time I got serious with it,
2: something happened that God brought me back into it.
3: Mm. Uh,
2: there have been times that, that God has me to in His way
1: for His purpose in ways I didn't even think about being available to me.
0: Mm. Beyond your imagination.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. There was one time that um, in my ministry, we had a the church had a you know, softball team. And we had a
1: revival going on, and our team was out in the field. Our opponent, one of their players, came up and hit a fly ball out between the center and left field. Two of them walked, uh, going for it, neither one called for it. And all of a sudden, they hit and let down, and um, one lay there because he got rent knocked out of him, and. Uh, I wound up, to make this story short, he wound up in the hospital on Sunday morning, having an emergency surgery on his kneecap that was crushed. Uh, Then when he got out of the hospital, I was going to go by to see him. And something told me, he said, go by and get his cousin. So I did, and we started out. His cousin looked at me and said, where are you going? I told him. He said, Well, why are you going this way? I said, I can I'll get there. Which I could have gone down a little bit and turn off of the road into one, take the other, but I didn't turn there. I kept going. His cousin looked over at me and said,
2: Brother Barrett, where are you going? I said, I don't know. God knows where he's going to take me. I don't know. I wound up at that young man's terror. And sitting there, talking his mother, sitting there behind me, she asked me a question about that. And then
1: she told me enough, and then another. This young man's father sitting over on the couch, looked across at me and he says, Brother Bird, I'm not a Christian. His mother kept asking me questions. And then a little bit, he says, Brother Bird, I'm not a Christian. She kept asking uh, asking questions, then he raised his voice and kind of pushed up, and he says, brother, bird, bird, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> and I thought, God, what do you have to do to wake me up and show me what you want? <laughs> <laughs> um, I found myself almost on my knees at night, looking a man in the face to face, sharing the gospel with him, the plan of
2: salvation. And that man
1: said, do do I have to be in the church to get saved? I said, no, sir, you can do it right here, right now. And um,
2: what happened then, he didn't make that move at that time. And I left.
1: The first time in my ministry, and the only time in my ministry I can ever they call visiting anybody that I stayed last 9 o'clock in their home. That night,
2: minutes past 12 o'clock midnight, I walked out of his home. The next day, his son called me. He
1: said, Brother Bert, I want to thank you. I said, thank me for what? Was in the hospital. I didn't get by to see you for a few days before you got, got home, and I still hadn't been by to see He said, You went by to see my daddy, didn't
2: you? I said, Yeah. He said, I don't think what happened. He said, My daddy drove over here to my house. And I heard a truck pull up and said, I heard the truck door slam. And I walked to the door. And there was my
1: daddy get out of his truck and coming up on my porch. I said, he came in there and sat down. And he said, I want to thank you.
2: you know, no, he said, I like Brother Bird.
1: He said, no, I, that's not right. I love him. His son told me he sat there from approximately 1230 until two or three. I did not know what time. <laughs> Sharing with him what had happened in his home. I still believe that somewhere
2: that man made his professional life. Right. Two weeks later, he and two of his sons are down someplace in Kentucky, Ford Wheeling trucks. And I was a big high hill, steep hill. And his father said, let's go Sons back down. His daddy drove up there, top of that hill, got out of his truck and fell dead. Wow. Uh, I
1: I still say that that man made his profession of faith because he asked me what he had to do. I told him he had to confess his sin, he had to seek Jesus Christ to come into his life. Just believe it with all my heart and my soul today that he made that profession to faith. And I've often wondered, Lord, what would have happened if I had not listened to you and done what you wanted me to do to be where you wanted me to be at the time? It's just one of those things.
0: <laughs> what advice do you have? Not just for ministers, but Christians in general to be open to the workings of the Holy Spirit, to be able to, to listen and seek out those opportunities, to be able to share the good news in the way that you did in that person's home? Because you could have just drove on by.
1: Well, first of all, I would say
2: listen. Well, how am I going to listen? You listen by turning out everything around you mm. and devoting on God. When you listen, be willing to respond.
0: And listening listening to God speak to you, not just listen to an individual, but listen for God to speak to, to, to us as the individual.
1: Right, right. Uh-huh. Uh, and I can I can say that from experience because hard, I told you I had
0: hard experience. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I I felt God like working in my life, but I did not know what was going on. I did not know what it was. And I, I probably wasn't listening very closely until He put me into that place where there was no turning away. And He said, I want you to do this.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh I, I know listen be willing to let God speak and be willing to go where he leads.
1: If you um, if you want to go this uh, or right, he wants you to go to the left, you better go to the
0: left. <laughs> what advice would you have If you could gather up a bunch of people who were thinking about answering the call to the ministry, the word and sacraments, and for those who have already accepted the call and they're just beginning their process towards ordination, we gather all of them up in one setting. What advice would you share with them from your wisdom and your hard experience of ministry?
1: I probably would and asked them the same question that the late Dr. E.K. Reagan asked me when I came for Presbytery to be received
0: as a candidate. All right. What was that?
1: He looked at me and he said, James, is there anything
2: that you can do other than go into the ministry? Ooh. That, That hit hard. That
1: hit hard. Wow, that's
2: a good Uh, question.
1: There were some things I could do, but Mm. I couldn't do them completely. I couldn't do them in any way because God had his hand in my life direct me to what I'm doing today.
3: Mm.
1: Uh, Has it been easy? Not always. (laughs) But but there's not anything that's going to be easy in life. Right. Uh, <laughs> so you know, I th- I think I would probably want to say to
2: any of them, weigh the pros and cons, and
1: if you can't get the pros to outweigh the cons, you probably do not want to go into the ministry.
3: Mm.
1: Now that might be judgment. I don't mean it that way, but if there's something in ministry that will prevent somebody from doing their best.
2: They don't need to be there. And I, ha- I had a,
1: a problem when I was younger. I was very timid. It scared the daylights out of me to get up in front of a, a class of uh, 15 students to give a book report. It scared me to death to get up in front of a group of people, no matter how small to do anything, but God called me, and I told him then, Lord, if you truly want me as a minister, you will have to take away all of my abilities and give me the strength to perform a job that you have waited for me. And I, I would, would I turn back? No, I would not.
0: I'd say that's a prayer that we probably need to say quite often, (laughs) quite regularly. (laughs) You've been a part of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church all your life. What's your favorite part of this church family? What makes you the most proud, the most unashamed of our denomination?
2: Uh, some time back, there was a close-knit unity. I was not
1: this person. People in the denomination knew me. I knew the people of the denomination, whether, you know, one that's on the staff there at CP headquarters, whether it be somebody up there. In, in the field, and uh, that we
2: were, we were family close knit, and uh, we always had concern for one another. Harold Davis was another person, made like, a difference in my time I had a, I had some like surgery or something I was in the hospital. Harold found out about it. I
1: got the sweetest passionate no, him said james i don't know what's going on with you but i heard i, I saw in a new newsletter you were in the hospital i want you to know i'm praying for you wow there was not a denomination before he had to do that it wasn't their responsibility he had a job but mm-hmm. he he took time out to be with me and that that has meant more to me than lots of other things that happened uh i'd like
2: to i'd like to see the camaraderie again you know i'm
1: not, I'm not saying it's not there it's i'm getting a, little, I'm getting a few years on me, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there are new ministers coming on all the time yeah uh i go to general assembly now i their new faces. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're doing. I don't, know. I don't know whether they're ministers, a lay person, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that earlier though, it was you could tell who's what, and uh, it's it something meaningful for me. I have been very pleased to be a part of the Common Church. Hmm.
0: James, I appreciate. The influence, in a good way, that you have been in my ministry, directly and indirectly, you've been an example to me in terms of, of uh, patience and humility, and uh, I've always admired those two skills, and gifts, because uh, I need more of both. So I enjoy seeing those, and inspired when I see them and others. I appreciate you sharing your faith journey. I have heard bits and pieces of it, but I've never been able to sit down with you and hear it all together. Even when my questions are not linear <laughs> in terms of a timeline, you, you hung in there with me and I appreciate it.
1: It's my pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity to do this.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cumberland Road. To hear more faith journeys like James, subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you like Cumberland Road, please share with others. James mentioned Hubert Morrow as someone who has shaped his faith, so it would be fitting to close this episode from Morrow's book, The Covenant of Grace. Christian freedom, the defining characteristic of the Christian lifestyle, is radical in nature and very different from ordinary human freedom. Ordinary human freedom can be defined as freedom of choice, the freedom of the will. By contrast, Christian freedom is the freedom to love, the freedom to love God and persons. The freedom to love is the freedom to give oneself to the service of God and persons.